0: Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. I have to tell you, I've been resisting telling a pun so badly right now. but I don't know any good yokes, so anyway, that's all I can say, anyway, all right. I'm letting you know, I'm letting you know, I'm letting you know how well and how hard that committee has worked. Okay, they've done a good job well again good morning and it's just a joy to be able to share with you today and just the excitement Uh, I, i congratulate everyone that's worked so hard and has served in our community as well, whether you're volunteering here at the church or helping with Vacation Bible School or working at the fire company, or you're already saying, I want to be involved in helping with that Easter egg hunt coming up on Palm Sunday, Saturday. uh, That would be, that's all wonderful. Thank you for the vision that you have of doing that. The reason we're focusing on this today, the reason why we're making such a big deal about serving others and serving in our community is because really this is our vision for, for for our, our church here. We have this, this desire to see God work in our midst and work in our community, and we've we've thought about this as an elder board and as leadership in the church, and we we believe God has laid it in our hearts to, to recognize that there are, you know, 103,000 people that live within 10 miles of where we're sitting this morning, and even if you add up all the churches in that that. Area that 314 square mile area where people are living around us. And when you add up all the churches, whatever kind of church they are, even then there's still many, many, many people who have never heard about Christ or think they know about Christ, but they don't have a personal relationship with Him. And our goal, our purpose as a church is to show the way to help introduce people to Jesus Christ and encourage them to begin following Him. And so to do that, in order to do that, we believe God has given us a vision of trying to reach 1% of that 103,000 people. And so we really, over the next 10 years, this next decade, we're seeking to, to try to win and, uh, excuse me, 1,030, 1030 by 2030 is what we're endeavoring to do. And so if you'd show us the next slide there, Frank, I'd appreciate that. To do this, we recognize that there are four key tasks or components of the vision that we need need to be committed to. And you're saying, Pastor, you've been talking about this for three weeks. I know there's this week and next week too. I'm just letting you know ahead of time that there's more coming. And hang on because we need to really drill down deeper and make sure that we're understanding this and let these ideas and these thoughts take deep root into our lives as well as we're trusting God to work in us and work through us in the days ahead in our community for his glory and so we recognize that really it's all about relationships relationships with one another and our relationship with god and so we we're endeavoring to double the number of our growth groups and and become a church that's more sticky where people can come and have that spiritual Velcro of relationships to stick to one another, adhere to one another, to pray for one another, build build up one another, uh, help each other, carry each other's burdens, just to be committed to that. And so we're working to connect so that we can grow. And I'm not just talking about growing the numbers of people coming to the church, but so that we would grow in our relationships and grow personally and grow corporately as well. But connecting to grow is something that we're seeking to do and doubling the number of our growth groups that growth then in turn is to lead us to serve so we want to grow to serve and so this is all the realm of discipleship and helping people really mature in their relationship with Christ and really grow up and becoming all that God has for them and we said that discipleship we said this last week that really it's allowing Jesus to be the king of everything in our lives, that we surrender to his authority and allow him to become the king of everything in our lives. And so whether it's our our relationships with other people or our knowledge of his will for our lives or our finances or our health, whatever it is, whatever realm of our life we're talking about that we're surrendering to the leadership and authority of Christ, that we make Christ the king of everything in our lives. And so we're talking about developing programs and processes of helping people be trained to follow christ with all their hearts and let him touch every area of their lives that he truly is the king of everything for them as well and so we're endeavoring to do that but as that growth is taking place as we connect to grow and as we grow to serve The purpose of that growth is not just head knowledge, but it's actually to activate our hands and our feet and our mouths in service, our creative energy, our financial energies, our physical energies to be activated to go serve and to be lifting burdens in our community in order to bless and help. And that's what we want to focus on today. That's why Justin was here today from the fire company to just remind us of ways that we've served in the past, how we're happy to serve, because when you're in that dish pit and you're scrubbing those pots and pans, when you're handing out that you know, thousandth hot dog or whatever it was that evening or pulling you know, one more time out of that icy cold water, you're grabbing that water bottle or that soda bottle, you're pulling it out or you're bending over one more time to pick up that ring off the ground. That's why the kids do it because they're a lot closer, it's easier, okay? But you know us, all Older ones, you know, when it bends down and we stand up one more time, you know, that's a lot of rings to try to, you know, for that stand to earn $3,000 or whatever it was. When we're doing that, in the middle of that, we wonder, is it really worth it? And we are happy to serve because we're doing it for Jesus' sake. And we'll expand on that a little bit more this morning, what that means. So we're serving, but we're not just serving to be nice. We are serving to build a bridge, a platform a pathway for us to be able to share the one who lifts the heaviest burdens of life, the one who is able to do what we desperately are longing for someone to do for us, and that is to be our Savior. We're talking about sharing Christ with others as as well, our Lord and Savior, introducing people to Jesus. And so, yes, we're serving at the carnival. Yes, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. Yes, we're going to do many other things in the days ahead and years ahead in serving our community, but the goal is ultimately so that people can meet Jesus through us loving them and serving them and helping them. We're happy to do that because why? We want them to know Jesus. You know, it's not a bait and switch, by the way. It's not, we'll help you if you listen to us. It's not that. It's, we're going to help you no matter what and by the way we do love jesus and he loves you even more than we do so that's why we can even say love you littlestown because god loves littlestown he does love you littlestown and we love littlestown we love you that's why we're doing these things we love you littlestown and god loves you too so we want them to know that and not just littlestown but the other communities around us as well but this serving in order to share it ultimately leads to the biggest and most challenging aspect of the vision that we have for the next five years. And that is, we desire to plant a church, to start a satellite church, uh, a Littlestown Chapel in another location. And we recognize that there's a need in our community and we want to equip and train people to be able to go and help start this new congregation of Littlestown Chapel in another location. Now obviously, it's not gonna be called Littlestown Chapel wherever it's at because it needs to have the name of that town or that community but it's our values it's our doctrine it's our constitution it's our purpose it's our vision and we're working together to see this community reached with the gospel it's littlestown chapel in another location that's what we're trying to replicate. And we'll be talking about that in greater detail next week. And we'll be discussing that, I'm sure, at our congregational meeting next Sunday afternoon. I invite you to make sure that you've signed up for that as well so that we can have lunch for you and be prepared for the discussion that we'll have as well. But we're sharing and serving and you know connecting to grow. And we're doing all this for the goal that we would be able to plant this church to reach the 1030 by 2030 That's what we're embarking to do. But let's spend some time today unpacking this idea of serving in the community because we all agree, whoever volunteers, whoever's helping out, you know, whether you're collecting money for the Salvation Army at Christmas or whether you're, de- you're delivering food baskets during the holidays or whether you're picking up trash along the highway, whatever it might be, teaching literacy or, or helping out in your child's classroom. Volunteering is a key thing of being a good citizen. It's something that's important. Our community needs it. But there's a spiritual dimension to volunteering. It's not just about me feeling good about myself that I help somebody else. It's part of the plan and program of Jesus Christ. It's His will for winning the world that we would learn how to serve, that we would give ourselves in service to others for His sake. And there is a story from the life of Peter that we want to emphasize today and focus on. You remember that really... We've said all along the way that this, this vision that we have of, of reaching 1030 by 2030 and the different parts and components of the vision that we're embarking to fulfill, these sub-goals that we're working on, they're all can be organized under this heading of so that others may live. And we're doing this so that others may meet Christ, so that others can experience his abundant life, so that others can, can truly become part of his family and his kingdom and experience the love of God personally. We want them to know that. It's not just about us, it's about them. And how do we bless and help and encourage them? But in the passage that we're reading, we're we're coming back to the life of Simon Peter. And we're looking at a couple episodes, not the, the big famous ones like, you know, uh, him denying Jesus and, and some others like that, but we're looking at some of these other stories of Peter's life that maybe we don't focus on as much, and this story is, is one of those as well. I want you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. I want to talk about some net gains that you and I can experience in our lives when we let Christ work through us. The story that we're reading today is is Peter encountering Jesus another time in his life and he's seeing what Jesus can do through him and throughout this entire story, Jesus is inviting Peter and James and John and some of the other fishermen who become his disciples. He's inviting them, let me work through you. And you do that by working with me. And if you're willing to work with me, then I will work through you. If you work with me, I'll work through you. And just watch what happens when you let me work through you. It's astounding what I can do through you. Whenever we talk about service, we often find ourselves, at least I find myself saying, I'm not qualified enough, or I'm not strong enough, or I don't have enough money, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm too weak, I'm too tired. Or I blew it, I failed, and how in the world can I serve God that way? And Jesus would constantly say to you and say to me, that doesn't matter. What matters is, are you willing to let me work through you? And I'll do that. And you'll be amazed what I can do through you when you choose to work with me so in Luke chapter 5 now I'm reading on page 860 if you'd like to use one of the Bibles there in the chair in front of you but uh, Luke chapter 5 page 860 this is Luke chapter 5 verse 1 just listen carefully as I read this passage to us on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God he Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is God's word. If you're willing to work with Jesus, he'll work through you. That's what this story is saying, and that's what we need to grasp. And the reason I know this is because the stories, the miracles that Jesus performed are not just displays of his power or knowledge. I mean, yes, in this story of this miraculous catch of fish, it's obvious that Jesus knows where the fish are at, so we see his Powerful knowledge is all-knowingness, omniscience of Jesus. But this parable, this miracle is bigger than just an explanation of His superior knowledge. It's also a display of His superior power. He can even tell the fish where to go. Now I want you to be at this spot, at this depth, because these nets are going to drop down, and I don't want you to move. Stay right there. I mean, I think we wish... We wish Jesus would come with us fishing because we don't just want the fish finder to tell us where they're at. We want to make the fish stay there so I could drop the hook right down on top of them or throw the net on them. So it's, it's, it's a display of his power, superior power over nature, and it's a display of his superior knowledge over Peter's expect, uh, expertise. And so we see his all-knowingness and his all-powerfulness, but the miracle's bigger than that. He's trying to teach us a lesson. The miracle is like a parable. It's like a story, an illustration, an object lesson to help us get the bigger meaning that Jesus wants to communicate to us. And the bigger meaning is found at the end of the story. And I realize we're going to kind of jump to the last chapter to help make sense of the beginning of the story because in verse 10, he says, From now on, Peter... And he's not just talking to Peter, but he's talking to the other disciples and he's talking to you and he's talking to me. From now on, you will keep on catching men. And it's literally catch them alive and rescue them. From now on, you're going to be doing this. Meeting me changes everything. You have a new agenda for your life. From now on, you are going to keep on catching men alive and rescuing them. You're going to keep on catching people and bringing them into my family and my kingdom. And so he's saying, if you just would work with me, I'll work through you. And the miracle shows us that. Now, let's talk about the miracle a little bit, the scene of the miracle that we're witnessing here. Okay, so Jesus is in northern Israel, the territory called Galilee, and he's beside what usually is called the Sea of Galilee, but really, as Luke describes it here, it's an inland lake. It's a small lake, it's not that large. It's several miles in both directions, yes. It's a large body of water for an inland lake, but it's not a sea like the Mediterranean Sea, even though it often gets called that. And it's not an error, it's just a name that they had given, it to, given to that lake. But it's this lake. It's below sea level, and yet it's full of a wide variety of fish, an abundance of fish. And many of the people in that community were employed as fishermen because that was the main meat and staple of the diet of the people living in that area. And Simon, Peter, and James, and John were in a, you could call it a fishing cooperative. They were working together as business partners. That's the terminology that's used in this passage. They're working together to catch fish. They help one another. They share the expenses. They, they share the effort. And they share the reward that comes from working together and split the profits in that way. And so Peter, James, and John. John's father, James's father, Zebedee as well. They're all business partners in this enterprise, this fishing enterprise and cooperative as well. And so Jesus is nearby where these fellows have ran their boats aground. Peter and James and John and the other fishermen, they're washing their nets, preparing their nets. They've been out all night fishing and they've caught nothing. And Jesus is is teaching the crowds there in that area. And as he goes down toward the shore of the lake, they're, they're coming down through these little inlets and ravines that are along the western coast of of Lake Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, and these, these inlets form these natural amphitheaters. And so you can just imagine Jesus is standing right on the beach and maybe he's even stepping into the water a little bit and he's trying to talk to the crowd and the crowd is just kind of on the hillside around him and it's, it's just a wonderful place, a natural auditorium so to speak, an outdoor auditorium for him to be able to declare God's word and preach the gospel, the good news about him being the Messiah and God's kingdom has come. But the thing is, the crowd is growing, and they keep getting closer and closer and closer to hear Jesus, and he's backing up further and further. He finally says, look, we've got to solve this problem, a little crowd control here. And so he climbs into Simon Peter's boat, and he says, Simon, would you just push out from land a little bit, and I'll sit in the boat and teach the crowd. And so Peter does that. He pushes out from the shore a little bit there and there drops the anchor. And there's Jesus. He's sitting in the boat like a good rabbi would do in teaching. And I always think that here it is, 2,000 years later, we get things backwards. I do all the standing, you do all the sitting. I don't get that. But here, the crowd is standing and Jesus is doing the sitting as the good teacher. Okay, so there he is. He's sitting in the boat like a teacher, like a rabbi in the synagogue explaining God's word. He's doing this and the crowd is listening. This is now the second sermon that Jesus is teaching that day. He's already taught once when he was standing on the shore. They took a little break. They push out from the shore and here's round two, the second part of the sermon or the second sermon of the day. It's now getting later in the morning. It's maybe even getting closer to noontime. And Jesus is out there on the boat and the crowds are listening. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I want you to launch out into the deep and I want you to drop your nets for a haul of fish. You're going to catch so many fish, Peter. But notice what he says in verse 5. And Simon says, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. Now, If I'm Simon Peter, the expert fisherman, and there's Jesus, the carpenter guy, telling me, the fisherman, what to do, I'm not sure that I'd be interested in listening. I'm not so sure that I would say, you know, Jesus, you're really good about this kingdom of God stuff, but what do you know about fishing? Have you ever dropped a net before? Have you ever thrown nets in the water? Have you ever Have you ever been up all night like we were last night? And you have to imagine, just think about this. You know, Peter and his business partners, the other fishermen, they're taking these heavy rope nets. And these are nets that would have had um, floats along the top ring and deep netting dropping far down into the water with weights. And they would haul this rope net in and they would throw it out. Can you imagine just throwing that? Some of you guys struggle with doing the ropes like that at the gym and things like that. Taking the heavy cable rope and throwing that out into the water and letting the nets drop and waiting and waiting and waiting and then pulling it back in and when you get the nets finally into the boat, there's nothing there. Nothing. And you do that the whole night long. Can you imagine how hard you know your, your arms would be aching? your back would be aching. Your neck would be strained. Your legs would be so tired. You'd be exhausted. And that's what Peter is saying to Jesus. Jesus, we fished all night. We threw that net into the water over and over and over and over. And every time we pulled it in, there wasn't even one little itty bitty fish. We caught nothing. And even if he is speaking like a fisherman and exaggerating a little bit, he's just saying it was minuscule what we caught. We caught Zip, zilch, nothing, zero. We have nothing to show for our effort. Peter is saying, Jesus, I'm exhausted. And besides that, I've listened to two sermons too. And now you want me to go fishing when it really should be my nap time. But you want me to go fishing again and it's the wrong time and you want me to throw the nets out where it's really deep and it's the wrong place at this time of day where to go to fish. And the crowd's listening to this and they're hearing all this and they're saying, what is Jesus saying? You know, in the middle of the day and throw the nets so they go down deep. That doesn't make sense. That's not when you catch fish and where you catch fish. It's the wrong time and it's the wrong place. Don't, this is gonna be funny. Let's watch this. And on top of all that, Peter is saying, Jesus, I'm exhausted and I'm discouraged. I've got nothing to show for my work. Have you ever worked really hard at something and got little return or zero return? (laughs) Some of you've had a garden (laughs) and you planted and you worked and you did all this and you fed the bunnies, I know that, or the groundhog, I get that, okay, yes. Maybe you worked and worked and worked and fixing a car and it still doesn't run. Maybe you were trying to build something and it fell apart. Maybe there was something else you did that you just were endeavoring to make it succeed. You wanted to have something to show for it and it didn't work. And you were so frustrated. You said, as far as I'm concerned, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to engage in that again. I'm never going to try that again because I can't do it. Peter has every reason to tell Jesus, no, Jesus. <laughs> I know you're asking me to fish now and in that place, but you don't know what you're talking about, and so I'm not going to do it. We often approach God that way. We have our agenda. We think we know we're the expert. You know, we know what real life is like, not this theoretical life, not this spiritual theological stuff. We know what life is really like and we tell God that in prayer. We tell him what to do. We set out our agenda. We say this is what you need to do God or "You know, I know you're telling me to forgive that person but you don't know how bad they've hurt me. You don't understand that Lord. I know you want me to share my faith with that person. I know I can feel the push. I can feel the prod but you don't know how stubborn they are and all that atheistic stuff they keep talking about and and how much they would make fun of me and besides I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. And we can rationalize and make all kinds of excuses for why we can't work with Jesus. But look what Peter does. Lord, Master, we have toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. I'll work with you. I'll do what you say. You might be thinking, we'll do what you say, but (laughs) probably just go wash the nets one more time. That's what I feel like when I go deer hunting. I just take my gun for a walk in the woods, and that's all it is, you know, that really ever happens. It says, though, in verse 6, that when they had done this, when Peter obeyed, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets began to break. You know, listen, even if Peter had caught one fish, that's a 100% increase over what he had gotten the night before, right? So the fact is, is the nets are not just filled with a little bit of fish. It's so full of fish that the nets are actually starting to stretch as they begin pulling this back into the boat. You could hear the, you could hear the ropes starting to stretch and creak. You could, you could maybe even hear some of the fiber snapping, you're hearing all this and they're pulling this into the boat and the, and the, and the boat's kind of going down a little bit because the, the hold of fish in that net is so large and so heavy the boat is going to flip over if they keep pulling. Peter signals to the other guys, maybe James and John are still on the shore or maybe they're a little further away going to try a different spot. Whatever it is, Peter's signaling to them, get over here. And they come over and the two boats together start pulling in this net of fish. And it's so big that it threatens to swamp both boats. They get all that fish into the, into the boats and you could just see that there's a surface of water and the edge of the boat's right there. That's how many fish are in it, how heavy it is. How abundant is the provision of Jesus when we obey his promises? How much Jesus can do when we're willing to work with him because he works through us. He does all the heavy lifting. He makes the miracle happen. He's the one that controls nature and changes lives if we're just willing to work with him. When we work with him, he works through us and brings glory to his name. So that's, that's the miracle, this abundance of fish that have been caught by Peter when he obeys Jesus, and the crowd is probably cheering, they're just amazed, they're overwhelmed. They've heard everything Peter has said, they've, they've heard Peter's resignation and his discouragement, they've heard Peter say how tired he is, and yet Jesus has done the miraculous. Miraculous. How much power he has how much knowledge he has how wise he is if we're just willing to take him at his word and do what he says so the question in this story if if the message of jesus is are you willing to let me work with you and work through you will you work with me so i can work through you the question is well how do we work with jesus what is it that we need to do to work with Jesus? What, what does that look like? What do I do if I'm going to work with Jesus? Well, I think Peter demonstrates this. And he demonstrates what you can do and what I can do to work with Jesus. The first thing I think we can see here, it's pretty obvious here, is that Peter is willing to obey Jesus. He's willing to do what Jesus tells him to do. He says, Master and the word that he uses there is different than the usual word for lord or or leader or something like that it's it's the idea of someone who's in in sovereign control he has authority here and and peter right off the bat is kind of giving the signal he's trying to telegraph here that you know what i don't really want to do this i don't know that this is really going to be successful i'm really very discouraged and very tired but master at your word I will let down the nets. I'm willing to do what you say. I'm willing to obey you. I'll yield to your authority. I'll line up under you and do your will. I'm willing to do that. And it's not that he thinks that he's going to be successful. It's not that he's sure the circumstances are right, that I know if I do this now, then all these things are going to line up. Oh, my fish finder is, you know, beeping, beeping really loud. It must be a big school of fish down here. I know it's good to do that. It's not that he had any idea of what was going to happen. He was just willing to take Jesus at his word. And you see, that's the foundation of obedience. We obey because we trust. We do what he says because we believe his word. He's reliable. What he says comes true. His promises are for real and for keeps. And because he makes those promises, I can do what he says. Now, you might be saying, How did Peter know that? Well, I want you to hold your place here in chapter 5 and just move up the page a little bit to chapter 4. And it's interesting that on an earlier occasion, it says that Jesus is in the town of Capernaum, right near where they're fishing. And he's in that town, and it says in verse 38 that Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house, Simon Peter's house. So this is a a Saturday service at the synagogue, and there they are when they finish the worship service and Jesus has been teaching. The service is over, and just like some of you, Jesus wants to go out to dinner. And And Peter says, Lord, would you like to come to my house? I haven't really talked it over with my wife, but I'm sure she won't mind. Let's go. I'm sure that was interesting. And so Jesus and any of the followers that are with him follow Peter to Peter's house, Simon's house, and they're, they're having lunch together. And while lunch is going on, the family says to Jesus, you know, Peter probably brings it up and says, Lord, my mother-in-law is very sick. She's, she's hot. She's burning up. She has a fever. Can you do something about it? And it says that Jesus went into the bedroom where the mother was and he rebukes the fever and commands it to go away and she gets well and she gets healed so quickly and so completely that she jumps up out of bed and goes out in the kitchen and starts serving dinner. None of this, well, you know, you had the flu, you better wait a couple days before you're around other people to make sure that you're not still contaminated in a carrier. None of this, I was really sick and I'm still trying to get my strength back. It's so hard. No, she's completely and instantly healed by the power of Jesus. That's the authority that he has over disease. Peter has seen this. He was probably there, we know from John chapter 1, when Jesus meets Peter for the first time and gives him that new name. Remember the new name Peter got? Simon got? It was the name Peter. That was the nickname Jesus gave him, and it means stone man or rock man or rocky. Whatever you want to call it there. Someone that's strong and stable. A name, an identity that Peter can grow up into as he follows Jesus because he was anything but a rock. He was unstable and impulsive prior to growing in that way. Right after that conversation, when, when Peter first meets Jesus, they go to the wedding and that's when Jesus turns the water into wine. You see... Peter has had experience with Jesus and he's beginning to understand that Jesus has power and knowledge and when Jesus gives the command, things happen. So Peter is willing to obey even though he is so exhausted and he's so discouraged, he's willing to lay those things aside and do what Jesus says because he takes Jesus at his word and he knows Jesus will keep his promise. And if he says there's a catch of fish, out in the deep part at the wrong time of day, I'm willing to go there and drop my nets and see what happens. His obedience was grounded in his faith that Jesus would keep his word. Peter was willing to work with Jesus because Jesus is saying, I'll work through you if you just obey me. If you're just willing to trust me. Now, once this great miracle takes place, it says that Peter falls down at Jesus' knees. He and the other disciples are so gripped with amazement, they're actually afraid. Who is this? What is this? What have we just witnessed Everything that I know and understand has been turned on its head. And here's Jesus, this teacher, this, my, this man I call my master. He has just brought all these fish into my net. And we brought these fish into my boat and my other partner's boat. And look at us. We're almost ready to sink and I don't understand any of this. And he does understand one key thing is that he's not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus because Jesus is representing God. Whether Peter understands at this moment that Jesus is God, I don't know. But he's fully aware that God is certainly in Jesus and with Jesus. He's God's agent on the scene in total control, displaying all power and knowledge. And Peter, when he compares himself to Jesus, he says, I'm not worthy. You need to leave, Jesus. You need to depart from me because I am a sinful man. I don't deserve to be in your presence. You need to go away from me. You need to leave. I'm not sure where Jesus would leave. Maybe this would be another time he'd have to step over the side and walk on the water. I don't know. Maybe he's just talking about when they get back to shore, get out of the boat and walk away, never come back because I don't deserve to have you with me. Some of us, when it comes to ministry and service, we think the same thing. For us, it's not that I'm too tired and I don't know enough. We just say, I'm not worthy, I blew it, I failed. I've sinned. And when we see Jesus's holiness and his perfectness, his absolute goodness and justice, we say, God, how can you ever use a screw up like me? Do you know what I did Friday night? Do you know what I said? Do you know how I treated those people? Do you know the mess I've made of my life? Look at my life. I've thought this myself. I've thought, God, how can you use a guy that gets angry like I do? How can you use a guy that struggles with loss? How can you use a guy that's so petty and prideful? How can you use a guy that just is so selfish? And you're saying, that guy's our pastor? Yes. And who I am is not much different than who you are. The thing is, is that all of us have things that we're fully aware of, that God is fully aware of, that even the people closest to us are fully aware of, and we think those things disqualify us from God ever using us. And the thing that's amazing is that even though Peter says to Jesus, you've got to depart from me, Jesus never does. We see this great humility on on Peter's part He sees Jesus' holiness and His own sinfulness. He sees Jesus' power and His own frailty. He sees Jesus' beauty and He sees His own poverty and brokenness. He sees Jesus' bounty and abundance and His own emptiness. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus doesn't leave. Because Peter was humble in admitting his need and his unworthiness, that's exactly why Jesus could work through him. That's what we need to do to work with Jesus. To admit, God, I'll do what you want, but you <laughs> look what you got to work with. I ain't much. I don't got what it takes. I'm not good enough, smart enough, holy enough. I still don't have my act together. But if you want to work through me, here I am. I'll work with you. So there's this great humility falling at Jesus' feet, submitting to Him in humility. And when the story concludes, it says that Jesus tells Peter, and I think to James and John and the others who are listening, from now on, if you follow me, from now on, you'll catch men alive. You'll rescue them. You'll rescue them. You, know, you and I, when we go fishing, <laughs> we catch a fish and we either keep it to eat it. Maybe we let it go, catch and release. But usually we catch a fish and we want to eat it or we want to turn it into a trophy or put it in an aquarium or do something like that. And it's, and it's actually something deadly for the fish if we leave it out of the water. But the word that Jesus is talking here about catching men alive, it's the idea of rescuing that you pull them out of the danger of the deep the danger of this world in a sense it's it's almost like the boat is the church and the church goes out on a mission and as the church is yielded to Jesus and Jesus works through the believers they're able to rescue people out of this world and with that vision in mind the disciples say that's what i want to give my life to and they're willing to leave everything behind and follow Jesus they leave everything So here's Peter, James, and John with probably the greatest catch of their lives. I'm reading between the lines there, but I wouldn't be surprised. Such a haul of fish. Wow. That's a lot of tuna sandwiches. But they leave that all behind. And maybe John and James' father, Zebedee, he sold the fish and provided for the families. Maybe they did other things like that. Maybe they gave to the poor. Maybe they did all kinds of things. I'm sure it didn't just rot in the boat, all those fish. But they left it all behind. And Peter says, I'm done fishing. I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus. There's this total surrender to Jesus. There's this willingness to obey him, a humbleness and yielding to him, but then that full surrender when you say, Jesus, it's not my will, but yours be done. I'll go your way and do your will. You might be thinking my marriage is on the rocks and there's no way I can save it, but Jesus, I'm willing to surrender to you and I'll stay in this marriage and I'll make it work even though it's so hard. I'm willing to do that. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm willing to speak up and share my faith. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm willing to help in that child's classroom. I'm willing to help teach reading. I'm willing to help the teacher. I'm willing to volunteer and do this with these runny-nosed kids. Whiny, cry kids. I'm willing to do that. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm willing to volunteer in the nursery. I'm willing to help with vacation Bible school. I'm willing to go to the Easter egg hunt and hide eggs. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm willing to serve so I can share. Not my will, but yours be done. It's a surrender to Him. Now the thing is, okay, we can see how to work with Jesus. And we even have the promise that if we work with Jesus, Jesus will work through us to bless people, bring glory to His name. But why would Peter do this? Why should you and I do this? Where's the motivation for all this? Is it just to make ourselves feel good and proud of ourselves, look at us volunteering, we get a cool certificate to hang up on the wall? No, it's bigger than that. We do this because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who doesn't leave even though we feel unworthy, he stays. And he wants to work in us and through us. And it's Jesus who does the heavy lifting. It's He that does the miracle. It's He who changes lives. It's He who restores the broken marriage. It's He who overcomes the addiction. It's He who's able to win the lost. It's He who's able to save the children. It's He who's able to build your family and work His will in this world for His glory. Whatever the the net He's told you to throw into the water for a catch, He's the one that fills the net and makes it happen. When we work with Him, He works through us. And we can work with Him because He promises to stay and He does the heavy lifting. He's the one that performs the miracle and changes lives. He's the one who ultimately saves people alive and rescues them. Because you see, the bottom line is that Jesus is asking us to surrender to Him because He has already surrendered for us. He surrendered Himself on the cross. He willingly gave up His life He who is innocent, he who is righteous, he who is perfect, laid down his life on that cross and allowed himself to be nailed there. After being beaten, after being humiliated, he did all of that for us. So now we can experience his abundant life. He gave up his life. He surrendered it. And because of his abundance and the life he's given us, we can gladly surrender to Him and give everything to Him because He's given everything to save you and save me to make us the children of God. From now on, He says, you will be catching men, women, boys and girls alive and rescuing them. Why? Because that's what I did for you. When I gave my life on the cross, And when I rose from the dead. You see, this is the heart of service. The heart of service is not, I'm out here suffering for the Lord by myself, all alone, no one cares, God's forgotten me. It's not that. It's, I'm out here with you, Lord. And I'm giving because you've given so much to me. And I'm loving because you love me so perfectly and I'm sacrificing because you are so faithful to me and you've given everything for me. I will gladly give everything to you, Lord, because of what you've done for me. I will gladly work with you so that you can work through me and bring glory to your name. So where is Jesus telling you to throw your nets in? Where is he telling you, prompting you to throw your nets into the water? And you're probably already thinking, I can't do that. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong place. I'm not good enough. I'm too sinful. I'm too tired. I'm too discouraged. I can't do it. But where is he asking you to throw in the nets and trust him? Don't sit on your nets. Go throw them. Go trust him. Go do his work. Work with him and he will work through you. I'd like to pray with you and then we'll share the Lord's table together. I thank you, Father in heaven, that when we work with Jesus, he works through us. And I praise you for his faithfulness. And I'm asking you, Father in heaven, that you would raise up and send forth your servants into your harvest. And I pray that we would go forth knowing that we're not alone, that you are with us, that you have given everything to us so that we can give everything to you. And I pray that we would not lose heart and give up, but that we would trust you and do your will. And I thank you, Father in heaven, that you are so faithful. Thank you for throwing in the net and catching us. Thank you that somebody stood in the boat and threw the net in the water so that we could be brought to salvation. Thank you that somebody did that. And I pray that, Father in heaven, we would do that for others as well. For your honor and for your glory, we pray these things. We ask them all in the name of Jesus. Amen.